episode 49 of the comic book time machine superman versus the amazing spider-man part of the conway's corner crossover Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Time Machine. I am Ben Avery, and I've been joined by Matt Anderson. <laughs> Matt Anderson. And here we are, ready to talk about, well, comic books, <laughs> right? Because yeah, that's what comic we do books in time. Yes, because that's what we do here on the Comic Book Time Machine. Uh, so, for those of you who are not familiar with us, if you're joining us because of the crossover, let me just quickly tell you that this podcast is. Yeah, as described, we travel through time to read comic books, and today we are going to be traveling back in time to read Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, the battle of the century, the greatest superhero team-up of all time. And I guess we'll decide whether it lives up to that or not. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm Ben Avery. I'm a comic book fan, comic book writer, comic book podcast caster and basically i like comic books and matt why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the yeah also a comic book reader not a writer but also a comic book podcaster so ben and i have a lot in common other than the writing comics part <laughs> yes yes other than that uh, and between <laughs> the two of these guys spider-man he's my top hero how about you well i'd have to say superman he's my top hero all right, there it is. I mean, so, Aquaman's up there. I'm a big fan of Aquaman. I really, 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 you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll defend him to my dying breath. But Superman, he was the first and greatest for, for me, as a I mean, person. And also, I, I, well, we won't mention this. There's no other time I could mention this until, except for right now. But since we're doing intros, really, my favorite Spider Hero is Ben Riley, the clone of Peter Parker, who in the '90s. Uh, was a superhero known as Scarlet Spider. And I didn't realize this until I was doing my Jerry Conway research, Ben. Yes. But Jerry Conway was the one who wrote the original Clone Saga. So, you know, at, at the time, the character wasn't named Ben Riley, But in a sense, Jerry Conway created Ben Riley. All right. Right on. And if you're a listener of the comic book time machine, you know I've talked extensively about my love of Ben Riley. And what we do here on the Comic Book Time Machine is some episodes we do solo, where we're kind of taking on personal projects and reading through things that we've been really wanting to read through, like you're, you're, you've been doing some stuff with Spider-Verse and stuff like that. I've been doing Marvel-licensed sci-fi books. And some episodes are group episodes where we, we team up. You, you could say that it's, it's similar to what we're reading right now. We, we, we team up together. We have our mm-hmm. solo titles, and then we have our team titles, and that's what we're doing right now. Now, the... Uh, the reason we're doing this crossover is because a bunch of comic book podcasters gathered together basically on Facebook <laughs> and uh, they gathered together because they had been learning about some things that Jerry Conway had said, said about some of the royalties and rights that were involved with some of the characters he had created as far as how it worked on television and 
how it worked for him to get royalties from DC for these characters he created that are showing up on Arrow and on Flash and that sort of thing. He has actually since then come out and and kind of apologized a little bit for some of what he had said and and some of who he had said it against. Uh, He still is not real happy with, like, the the legal angle of things. But uh, at the same time, he understands that there are people involved that that are not – uh, who are in charge of like DC that are that are not you know, it's nothing personal against him that they're trying to do anything against him. Uh, it's a big kind of debacle that kind of came out of it. Although what, one thing it did do nicely is it did bring another spotlight to creator rights uh, and how that that works, especially when you're considering that these are contracts from long ago and how these contracts from long ago really aren't necessarily that fair. And I've got a little bit of experience with comical contracts, and I actually have some bad experiences with certain companies. I've had great experience with other companies. Um, one company that I worked with, I can totally understand what Jerry is, is talking about, where basically it seemed to him that legal was trying to find ways to not follow through. And I've worked with a company like that where they just were finding all the ways that they could nickel and dime things. And so the net profit, which is what we were being offered was a net, uh, you know, a percentage of net profit, uh, so that the net profit never actually reached the point where we would actually get any money from it. Um, and it's not just a comic book co- uh, company thing; it's really a, a business thing. I mean, this is not the comic book industry is not alone in this. The film industry also a part of this. I would imagine the plumbing industry is also a part of you know things like this, where you know you're just doing your best to keep as much money as you can for your company. So. Anyway, even though he has done a public apology and even though he has retracted some of his comments and not retracted others of his comments, we're still celebrating Jerry Conway because he has been a driving force for a lot of things that we enjoy. Um, I'm actually reading some Atari Force comics right now, and I was surprised then when I opened that up to find out, oh, co-creator, co-writer of Atari Force. And I'm thinking to myself, I was a fan of this before I even cared about who was writing these things. Because when you're a kid, you don't care. All those names at the beginning of a comic book, they're just words you have to get past to get to the story. You know, and, and it doesn't help the story any to know who was the writer and who was the right, the artist. And especially editor and letterer. I mean, come on, who cares, right? But as you're getting older, you're realizing, oh, these are people who have crafted things that I appreciated as a child. And these are people who have crafted things that I'm appreciating now. So... So we've chosen – there's a lot of topics that have been chosen. Um, there's some people doing uh, the oh, um, Tomb of Dracula, which is great. Have you ever read Tomb of Dracula, Matt? No. This is on my list of things to check out. I oh, really want man. to. I've, I know I can get my hands on the essentials, but I sort of want to read it in color. I, I would say don't worry about reading it in color. Okay. Honestly, uh, black and white almost feels better, I think, for me. It just feels like it should be in black and white. I think Gene Colan did the artwork on that, and I've heard that that's yeah. in black and white. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I have the essentials, and I love them. Isn't that Wolfman? I thought Mark Wolfman did that. He worked on some of it, yeah, but Jerry Conway was also a part of that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, there were actually, right at the beginning of Tomb of Dracula, there was a bunch of different people who had been involved in it. But um, there's some other people. Let's see, the Lantern cast, they did something about Green Lantern and Brave and the Bold that he did uh quarterman podcast did justice league of america number 188 um and so the hammer podcast did thor 224 so there's just a lot of 
a lot of these podcasts that they've just grabbed these kind of things that were like right in their niche, you know, and right in their um, the place where it's like their sweet spot. So the other podcasts taking part, Superman and Batman podcast, uh, Fire and Water podcast, Flowers and Fishnets podcast, which is um, has something to do with Black Canary. I've not actually listened to that podcast. But I know Black Canary is one of – I think it's the Fishnets part, but I'm not sure what the Flowers part is. Uh, Supermates podcast, which I haven't listened to that podcast, but I've heard um, – I've heard uh, pr- promos from that podcast. It's a husband-wife team that blog or blog and, and podcast about geek stuff. From Kid to Flash, which I think is covering Wally West. I'm not I'm not sure about that. Uh, Between the Pages is a blog that did some stuff about some some things he had written. Quarterman podcast with Professor Allen, which is a, a favorite podcast of mine. Lantern Cast, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. They're the ones who did the Tomb of Dracula, in case you couldn't figure that out. <laughs> Pop Culture Affidavit, Task Force X, Head Speaks, Back to the Bins, and then Hey Kids Comics is also planning on doing one. And I think we're one of the last ones to do this, Matt. So as far as po- as far as crossovers go, we're, we're probably getting the least amount of, of actual crossover from them. But hey, that's okay. That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because it's fun. And we chose this because favorite heroes, and I was looking at a list of things he had done, and when I saw that this was on the list, I thought, you know what? I've got this. I want to read it. I glanced through it, but I actually actually haven't read it yet uh, up until for this podcast. So, Yeah, when you asked me about it, I was thinking, okay, how am I going to find this? So <laughs> I thought maybe at a convention, but I couldn't find it there. Uh, we looked online, and it's actually pretty expensive online. Do you remember how much it was on eBay? Well, there was one that was going for fifty on eBay, uh, and then yeah. my local comic well, I mean, shop guy he had one for thirty. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking, oh man, I don't know if I can drop even thirty just for this one episode. So then I was looking at the trades online, thinking maybe I could find just a, a reproduction of it, maybe on Amazon, and I recognized the cover of this trade from the 1990s, actually from 1991. And I was like, why do I recognize that? <laughs> so Ben, I went over to my personal bookshelf and totally forgot that I actually owned the trade that, that this <laughs> topic is founded. Now, the way, reason I made this mistake is I thought I had, because the, there's a bunch of uh, collections of DC and Marvel crossovers, and I thought I had the crossover classics number four only. I do have number four, but I also have number one, and that's where this is found. I purchased this as a child, uh, well, in 91, I was probably around nine. Yeah, you're nine. Uh, so, yeah, I purchased it back then and luckily held on to it all this time so I could today do this podcast. Now, you purchased this as a child, but I wanted this as a child. I had a comic book, maybe two, I'm not sure. And there was an ad for this in there. Now, this came out in 1976. And. This was in your volume one because this was the first official crossover between Superman and the Amazing Spider-Man, between DC and Marvel. This was the first time that they teamed up to have their characters cross over with each other. Exactly. Are you familiar with the first time the two companies actually did a joint production? I am, and I actually have that on my shelf too with my Wizard of Oz stuff. It's the uh, Wizard of Oz adaptation. It's giant size like this book is. This is a oversized tabloid edition. And, yeah, so they teamed up to do that together. I don't know the story behind that. I actually should find out the story behind that. that probably you know, I don't know either, but 
it's interesting in this collection that from 1991 they actually do show a cover of MGM's Marvelous Wizard of Oz just and then there's a little note that says this is the cover of the very first Marvel DC Cole publication from 1975 yeah and so after that 1976 is when this came out but this is the actual like crossover that one they worked together and I imagine there was some form of you know, contractual obligation where one company had uh, the rights to it and the other company wanted the rights to it and the one company wasn't going to use it. And so they said, well, sure, if you put our name on it too. Or I don't know the details there. That's all stuff I made up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, with this, though, it's pretty clear. They, they wanted to do this because it was a huge event. And why not do a huge event that's going to make money, right? I mean, if you've got an idea that's going to make money... Other than you know not liking the other person, not wanting them to make money, maybe, which I think is kind of the, the situation now. But yeah, if you're going to make money, why not do it? And this was huge. I I know that. I mean, they obviously they printed it big. <laughs> they they printed it on you know the, the the oversized edition, and so I actually have this that I purchased, but I purchased it for like two dollars, I think. It's in rough condition. It doesn't stink, which is my one thing. When I buy comics, if they're going to be old comics in reading condition, you know, so they're not mint or near mint or whatever, I just don't want them to stink. I just don't want them to smell bad. And this does not smell bad, but the cover is very wrinkled. Uh, And that comes from, I think, just the way it falls when you open it up to read. That cover just kind of naturally bends in on itself because it's so big and floppy. But yeah, this is a hefty read. It took me a while to get through this in a good way. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, but it uh, I think it's 96 pages. I, right? I've got 92 here in my – when I'm looking at the page count there. It says 92 as far as the actual page count on the pages themselves. Okay. But then again, page one actually is page two. That cover page with all the information, who wrote and, and drew it and stuff like that, that's not counted in the page count. I don't know how it ended on an even number if they didn't count that first page. <laughs> there must be some yeah. other page in here somewhere that they chose not to include. So I think what we'll do here tonight is we'll talk a little bit about uh, Jerry Conway and how he got connected up with this project. And then we'll go into plot summary and then just give our additional thoughts as we go. Yeah, sure. So why don't you take it, why don't you take it off? Take it away. <laughs> well, inside my edition, I have... Um, two notes from the editors. One is from Stan Lee and one is from Carmine Infantino. And Stan Lee, I mean, he's not one for uh, you know understating anything. <laughs> so it, his, it's a soliloquy from Stan Lee and a comment from Carmine Infantino. And Stan Lee says, we were told it couldn't be done. They said it would be impossible. After all, Marvel and DC are the comic book world's biggest competitors. But we have one thing going for us. DC's head honcho and I have been friends for years. In fact, we actually collaborated on strips in the early days of comics. I wrote them, and Carmine drew them. And in the past few years, whenever we'd meet at an industry dinner or a fan convention, the talk would turn to the one thing we both knew would someday have to happen. The one thing that all fandom was clamoring for. See, again, I don't know if all fandom was clamoring for it, but... Uh, We knew we couldn't keep our top heroes apart much longer. Readers everywhere were demanding a team-up of the best of the old and the best of the new. Superman, the first, most powerful, best, first, um, most powerful, most famous Cape Crusader of them all, and Spider-Man, the newest, most realistic, most popular wall crawl- crawler on the scene today. 
both together in one titanic, unforgettable adventure. Well, it wasn't easy, but enthusiasm can move mountains. And as you can see, we did it. So here's a heartfelt thanks to the many terrific talents. And and then <laughs> Carmen Infantito says, uh, Comics, which usually reflect history, may, in this one momentous undertaking, prove detent to be more than theory. Superman, the character who created not only an industry, but quickly became an intricate part of Americana, and his present-day rival, the fantastic, feisty, amazing Spider-Man, had to be the co-stars of this unique first. The pooling and producing of a potpourri of talent got underway. Uh, he would like to dedicate this uh, to the greats of yesterday, and basically they're just kind of hyping the event. The event is huge. The event is momentous. Excelsior! Let the epic begin! And so that's the... Uh, that's the the story that I got in my edition, but I understand your edition has actually a note or two from some of the creators who worked on it. Yeah, and I won't read from all of these. Uh, we, you know, at the intro here, we've got something by Dick Giordano. We've got Tom DeFalco with some thoughts. Both of them, just to summarize, were basically saying, "I can't believe this happened." When I first heard about <laughs> it, I thought they were crazy. This is amazing. And so, Dick Giordano inked the book. Yep, he was, he was yep, the inker right. on that. And then, but the best part was the intro by Jerry Conway. Uh, some of the stuff, you know, it was again similar to him being surprised that they actually worked it out. But how he got chosen for this part, or you know, to write this, uh, is interesting. He says, "There's a quote here because I was one of only three people at the time who'd actually written for both characters. I got the assignment to script the story, and then for similar reasons, Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano were." assigned to the art and Roy Thomas was brought in as creative consultant uh, then he goes on to say because I, I believe he wrote this let me take a look he wrote this intro for the 91 trade that came out the 1991 trade and so it's 16 years after well as he's writing this intro he's saying 16 years have passed and he says purists may complain that we never explained how Superman and Spider-Man ended up in the same universe to our minds how they got there was beside the point there they were, we said, so now what? Since the whole enterprise was a wish-fulfillment fantasy come true, hows and whys seem not only irrelevant, but crass. And so that's, <laughs> that's where he leaves things. Uh, he doesn't tackle it anymore, but that is, I mean, to me, you know, somebody who loves parallel universes and you know, the multiverse, it was a glaring hole in the plot. How did they... They know of each other. We'll, we'll talk about it, but they're familiar with each other's work and they're villains. They, yeah, it's. We'll talk about it later. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I mean, I look at this as it just happens, right? And that's the, that's the way you have. You either have to choose to bring them together through different uni from different universes, mm -hmm. or you have to just say, you know what, this is a whole other thing. This is a whole other universe. I almost look at this one as this is a universe where only Superman and Spider-Man exist. Yeah, possibly. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, because in the 90s you had the Amalgam comics and they had to make a big storyline out of how the DC and Marvel universe came together. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, in this sense, they're able just to get right to it. No need to uh, you know play around with the issue, just dive into the story. Yeah, and they do it nicely, though. I mean, what they do is they have an introduction that introduces Superman fighting Lex Luthor. And that goes on for, I don't know, 10 pages or so? No, actually more than that. It goes on for 15 pages. Superman versus Lex Luthor. And then, on, on page 16, now pause for a hero identification. And it's just one page about Superman's origin. And you almost get the impression that this is like, okay, Marvel fans who have never read a Superman comic book or never saw the Superman TV show, 
or the cartoons or Super Friends or whatever. Those guys, they're going to read this, and then we have a whole page where it's just who is Superman, where did he come from, and what can he do. And then you have a Spider-Man short. It's, it's prologue one and prologue two. They give a fair page count, so they each get 15-page prologue, and then one page where another pause for hero identification. And again, give that information about who is Spider-Man. If you're picking this book up because you're a Superman fan, then you are going to know Spider-Man, bit by a radioactive spider. He created this Web Slingers, and that's him. Then you get prologue number three, which is Lex Luthor and Doc Ock meeting for the first time. And then we get another page explaining who Dr. Octopus is and why he has his, his tentacles and what he does with them and who Lex Luthor is. And it includes that thing about how they were childhood friends. He and Superboy were childhood friends until Luthor lost his hair permanently because of Superboy. So, um, and then it's not until page 36 that we actually get to the story. Those are the three prologues. And then we get chapter one, Duel of the Titan, uh, Duel of Titans. But I like the way they did that, making sure everyone knows who everyone is. Uh, again, they don't take that time to bring the heroes together through some sort of universal loophole, but they are explaining, you get to see them in action and then you get to see their backstory. And this is a nice introduction to, to really all four of the characters that are involved. So what did you think yeah. about that? Is that, did you think it was nice, creative, clever, stupid? I don't know. No, I agree with, I agree with you when you, uh, when you're saying it's a good introduction to all the characters involved. And I imagine that they thought, just like you were saying, some people might be picking this up and it's the first time they've ever seen one, one or two of these characters. And so uh, they give plenty of you know, descriptions on who everybody is. Uh, also, it's just a way to market your own brand. I'm sure yeah. there was something in the contract where you want to be able to tell all the readers who your character was. Um, something I didn't mention, but inside this trade, there was a couple pages about coming up with the cover design and how do we do it so that one character isn't more prominent than the other. And I, I did wonder as I was getting into this book, because I didn't know what the format was going to be with the, the large 15-page prologue for Superman and then Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. So when I first started, I'm reading page after page of just Superman. And what I think it inadvertently does is it makes you think Superman is the protagonist of the story. He's the main character. I, I mean, I wonder if they ever talked about who should go first, if there was ever any sort of argument over that or, well, that's just it. I mean, um, Superman is first in the title. You look at the cover image, and we'll talk about that in a moment here, but you look at the cover image, Superman's on the left. And if you are an English-speaking or really romantic-language-speaking person, you're going left to right. And mm -hmm. so you're, you're look, you see Superman versus Amazing Spider-Man. You see Superman first. He's the first thing I look at on the cover. He's the first thing I see. He's coming at you. His face is actually turned towards Spider-Man, but you see his whole face, whereas Spider-Man is kind of turned towards Superman, who's coming up behind him, you get a profile of Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. And so you're not, getting, you're not getting both of his eyes. And that might not seem like much to you, but that really is eyes on the cover. For me, that's one of the best things about a cover as far as what's going to draw me in is when I have a character whose eyes I can see. When you can't see a character's eyes and there's no kind of expression, I'm going to kind of move away from that cover. And so with, with this, it's Superman I look at first. Superman gets the first 15 pages. Exactly. It, it really yeah. does feel like you just said, this is Superman's story and Spider-Man is guest starring. Here's the question, though. Is that the right way to go? Is that the, the right impulse to have when you're doing something 
where you have these two characters, who do you think in 1976 was the most popular character? And I don't know if there's an answer to it, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking, what do you think? But I guess would be Superman, because he'd been around longer. He was more well-known in that day's pop culture. Um, I mean, Superman was popular. He was Marvel's top hero, but uh, you can't beat Superman. Everybody knows Superman. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking, too, is that if you're going to put two people on the cover, where do you put your star? You know, Here's a couple, couple things. I mean, I don't know if they'd ever done it done this format before where they had this big of a production and uh, with these two different characters. I mean, I, these prologues, one, two, three, and then like you said, oh, I can't remember what page it was, 36, they finally get to the main story. Had they, had they ever done any sort of story like that before? Because if they were teaming up heroes, they usually would have that happen right away. So I guess you could question, is there a better way to do it? Could you have made the each prologue story shorter so it didn't feel like you were reading a Superman story and then all of a sudden Spider-Man appears? You had mentioned that uh, on the cover, Superman's on the left and Spider-Man's on the right. If you open up then to the next page uh, after your letters, then the kind of uh, table of contents type page has the reverse. Yeah, the credits Spider- The credits page. Yeah, Spider-Man's on the left and Superman's on the right. So I wonder if they're trying to throw him a bone there a little bit. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, if you look, Superman do you have the picture of the back cover? It's Superman, uh, and Spider- uh, Superman and Spider-Man standing back to back against a yellow background. Yes, I do have that. Okay, that's the back cover. And again, Spider-Man's on the left, Superman's on the right. They're both looking at you. Um, it's not as dynamic. That's that's the thing. This this would not work as a front cover. Just them standing back to back and being like, yeah, hey, <laughs> you know, we're, here we are. Now, did you see the... You have the sketches of how this famous cover was born? Yes. Okay, that was interesting, too, because if you look at some of those sketches... The first sketch is actually of Superman and Spider-Man with fists ready to go. Um, but again, Superman's on the, r- the left, Spider-Man on the right. All well, of these. Every has Superman on the left. All of them, yeah. And whenever I see something like this, I always think back um, to Cheers. I don't know if you know this little story here, but Ted, Ted Danson and um, uh, Shelley... No, Shirley. Is it Shirley? Shelley, no, Shelley Long. Shelley Long, yeah. They had their names so that one of them was more left and one of them was more right. I believe it's Shelley Long who is more on the left and Ted Danson is more on the right. But then Ted Danson is up high and Shelley is down low. And so the idea is one is higher and you read you know top to bottom and then one is left because you read left to right. And so it's kind of like how can we get them to share the screen with their credit and <laughs> And so that it's not one who comes up first before the other one, because they were both, you know, we're the star. You know, how do we how do we do this? How do we? And so if you ever see a title, you know, where you're watching credits and two names come up and one is up to the right and one is down to the left, it's because the stars had some sort of thing in their contract where like I'm top bill. And so Ted Danson was top billed, but Shelley Long actually got her name read first more often because people are still going left to right. It's it's interesting to me. I, I there's a psychology to it, and that's why I bring it up here with the Superman and Spider Man thing. But speaking of top bill, if you look at the cover again, upper left hand corner where it has the company, yes, got, it says DC, and then under that and Marvel present. Yeah. So, well, my thing, my thing with that though, Matt, tell me if you agree. I think that this is Marvel being respectful. Almost, I almost think this is Marvel saying, you know what, Superman was first. Mm-hmm. DC, you were there before we were. You know, you are, you're the the wise old sage, and we're the young up and comer whippersnapper. 
Um, so we're going to step aside and let you have top billing because you're first. I, I, you know, one other quick question that we can move on off the cover, but the DC logo and the Marvel logo that they're using on the cover, <laughs> I don't believe these are or were their actual logos at the time. No, I don't think I've ever seen these logos before. It's kind of so weird. I'll, yeah, what's behind that? Like, what would be the thinking? Like, why why not keep the same logo? Well, I wonder if it's just they they made up this logo to say, you know, here's the Marvel and DC logo together. Like, we have a DC logo, a Marvel logo, but when we're together, we're the same logo. I'm going to get my my uh, Wizard of Oz down and try not to spill water again all over my comics and stuff. But um, uh, I've got that I've got that cover handy here too. Uh, they do not here. have that logo on that cover. No, what do they have? It's just it's a banner across the top, and it says Marvel first, actually. Marvel and, and DC present. It does. Okay, so maybe it was Marvel saying, hey, we had our turn, or DC saying, hey, you had your turn. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But you're right, it is that banner, and it's that's more like an actual Marvel comic, though. That makes me think of a, Mar- a Marvel comic with that strip along the top. This is Marvel and DC present. But the DC circle... That's the same DC circle with the same DC on it as are on the. That's the same DC yeah. as I was on the Spider-Man one here. Hmm. I can't explain it, but yeah, it's interesting. So uh, one other thing about the prologue and the third one, as soon as Dr. Octopus sees Lex Luthor, he recognizes him immediately. So it wasn't like you had to be introduced. They knew each other. And then as we get to the story where Superman and Spider-Man meet up, they also are aware of each other. So, uh, kind of, I mean, just, I think you might be right. We need to think about this as its own universe where these two heroes exist. Did you know that this is not the only place where clips from uh, the this comic appear? It does, they do appear in other Marvel comics in the future. They do. Yeah, I, I won't. I know we haven't got to the story yet, so I won't take too much time on this. But in What If number seventeen from nineteen seventy seven, okay, the yeah the Watcher is glimpsing different universes. And he sees a scene of Spider-Man getting punched, and they don't show Superman all the way. You just see his sleeve and fist only. And then uh, the Watcher is sort of asking himself, I wonder if this event happened in the mainstream continuity or an alternate reality. Well, <laughs> so, you and Watcher are on the same page as you're wondering. <laughs> and then in 1999, in the event called Avengers Forever, in issue number eight, the scene where Dr. Octopus is carrying Lex Luthor out of prison appears in a quick flash of uh of mu- the multiverse huh yeah well i i percent I, and all of time now i haven't read the second one because there's a second one that's uh what's it called i think it's just called superman and spider-man instead of superman versus the amazing spider-man guess what it's in this book i haven't read it yet but i i do have it here i'm curious if they are like continuing that continuity or if it's something else altogether, I don't know. But um, and then because I believe the second one that they made after this one was Batman and the Hulk. I'm not sure the yeah, order that they came in, but yeah, I've got uh, Superman in this trade. It's Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Hulk, and then the Teen Titans versus the X-Men. Okay, yeah, that one I have read, the Uncanny X-Men and the New Teen Titans. That one's. That's not bad. I think they did some universe stuff with that. I'm not sure where they're like pulling them over from other universes. I'm trying to remember now. But yeah, yeah this. The... Now that we're having this conversation, I'm excited to read the next Superman Spider-Man story right? to see if if it is this 
world that they exist in that's totally separate? Like, are they going to reference things that have happened in their own titles, or is it just going to be their own world where these two exist together? Yeah, I'm not sure. Now, the the, the villains are Doctor Doom and Parasite. So. Yep, that's right. And Marv Wolfman uh, wrote that one. Yeah, and Jim Shooter, it looks like. I'm, I'm looking Wolfman. at Wikipedia for this one. I'm not. Okay. But uh, right. okay, let's, so should we dive? Let's dive into chapter one. Go ahead, uh, take it away, and I'll just add in some things. Chapter one's pretty simple. Uh, actually, the, the entire story is pretty simple. It's, it, I think I was telling you off off microphone, but the uh, the the story itself is simple. It's in the details where all the fun comes. And so with the story here, it's basically Superman is fighting a giant robot that's stealing something from Star Labs, and Lex Luthor is piloting the robot. And what happens is that he, it looks like he's going to escape, and he escapes to an underwater base, and the, the robot was a diversion for his escape. And so when Superman follows the robot backward to find out where the robot came from, because he lost track of, of the uh, escape pod, which I think was the head, but as he tracks the robot backward from its, um, its giant robot <laughs> footsteps, he goes to an underwater base where Lex Luthor is waiting for him, Lex Luthor has a nice little laser trap made of red sun rays, and you know the Superman gets through it. Superman captures Lex Luthor, but Lex Luthor is able to take the thing he stole, puts it into a pneumatic tube like you get at the bank. You know when you go to the bank and you put your your uh, checks in the little tube thing and hit the button and sends it up. Well, he puts it in a pneumatic tube. It's going to go somewhere. We don't know where. We don't even know why he wants this thing. But then he totally lets Superman capture him because he knows the next day he's going to be out of prison. And he's going to be ready to use this thing that he stole. And so Superman takes him, takes him away, and then gets home just in time to board an evening flight to New York where he's going to go to uh, a gathering of news reporters and photographers and you know newspapermen and, and, and television news people, which Clark Kent is now a television news reporter. That's one of the things they did in the 70s that really confused me when I finally got like an actual Superman comic as a kid and he was reporting the news on TV and I thought, no, wait, that's not right. In the TV show and on the movie, he was a reporter for a newspaper. What's he doing working for a television? But, you know, they wanted to make him, you know, go with the time. So that's basically it, though. There's some yeah, goofiness that goes on here, you know, but that's, that's, the, that's the prologue that introduces us to Superman and what he can do and how strong he is. He catches apart from a building that's about to fall on some people that the robot caused to happen. He's able to use his heat vision and his x-ray vision and his you know, invulnerability and all that stuff. It's, it's a pretty good introduction to, well, really, to both Superman and Alex Luthor. Right. And whereas Superman really comes off as a great hero, kind of a guy who can do no wrong, you get to prologue too. And we see <laughs> Spider-Man's bad luck in action. Uh, he, he's making mistakes. So here's what's happening. Spider-Man's busting uh, a burglary in progress. Uh, it's Dr. Octopus and some of his henchmen. Unfortunately, in the initial encounter, Dr. Octopus actually beats Spider-Man and gets away. And then the police are trying to shoot Spider-Man because at this point in continuity, continuity they still think he's a bad guy. Uh, uh, then, but you know, it's okay. As Peter Parker, he's a photographer for the Daily Bugle, and he had set up his camera to take pictures. So even though he lost the fight, at least maybe he can make some money selling pictures of the fights. 
Uh, he gives the, the pictures to his boss, J. Jonah Jameson. Unfortunately, he screwed up with the camera and all the pictures are messed up. And so Jameson accidentally posts or uh, prints a picture that's not very good on the front page and he's furious at Parker. Then Peter Parker's uh, going to still try to go and, you know, at this point, let's, let me take a look. He's going to go to the movies with uh, Mary Jane, right? Yeah, he's going to go to the movies, but he sees a. A blimp, and he's thinking uh, that's you know there's more trouble around. He's got the spider sense tingling, so he starts heading up. He's gonna use his webs to swing towards the blimp, but he forgot that he's actually out of web fluid, so he just starts falling. He doesn't know what's in the blimp. He just has a spider sense happening, so he's sort of following his instincts, and he crashes through the blimp and accidentally <laughs> finds Doctor Octopus there in the blimp. He knew there was something suspicious about it, but. Uh, yeah, he basically. Uh, oh, later that we do find out it wasn't just a spider sense that he also had put a spider tracer yeah, on Doctor. This is but, intentional. This is intentional. Uh, but but it is still funny that he ran out of web fluid and kind of falls. Twice. Into the blimp. This wasn't the first time. Right. Uh, so then he finally beats Doctor Octopus, and and he goes to jail. He meets up with MJ, but now it's time for the World News Conference at the Coliseum. And then that's the end of Prologue 2. Yeah. yeah. You're right. I mean, this this definitely brings up Superman is large and in charge, whereas Spider-Man is the lovable loser. Right. And, yeah. like, really messing up. Yeah. And I think that continues throughout the story. It does. It does. But he, he there was some good stuff here, though. I mean, he, he wasn't a complete screw-up. Yeah, I mean, at first when I was first reading this, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, he fell through that blip on accident and then found him. But then we find out, no, it's okay. He had a spider tracer on him, so it wasn't all an accident. Hey, did you flip back and look, though? Because well, yeah. the way they do that, they show him, he goes through, oh, there's there's Doc Ock. And then they show the spider tracer on Doc Ock's shoulder, which Dr. Octopus doesn't know he had. Uh, and then they say, if you missed it, look again, flashback fans. And they actually redraw the panel from a few pages earlier where you can see him dropping the spider tracer. But if you go back those pages, this is not something where they said, Hey, you missed it. You didn't see him do this. No, you go back those few pages. You could see it. It's there. It, you can yeah. rewind. <laughs> no, it, it was well done. So uh, three, then what'd you think about that one? Well, f- prologue three. Yeah, where, where the meeting of the villains. Well, okay, so this one was kind of the weakest of them. This is where there's some comic book wonkiness that you either got to ro- roll with it, or it's gonna it's gonna completely ruin your enjoyment. You either have to you have to choose at this point: Am I going to enjoy the meeting of Superman and Spider Man, and am I going to enjoy this book, which seems to me to be written not for adults? You know, with Spider Man being like a popular college campus comic. Don't know how this measures up to the other Spider-Man comics of say 1975-76, but Lex Luthor's brought in. Doctor Octopus is in there. This is a short-term prison. It's a stop as they're getting ready to be you know put on trial and that kind of thing. But they've searched Lex Luthor and they have made it so that Doctor Octopus can't use his tentacles. But Lex Luthor has a subdermal, uh, well, he has fake skin that he peels away from his arm and it has all these uh, electronic components that he can take and turn into an escape kit 
uh, earplugs that allow him to block out this sonic pulse that's going to cause everyone in the prison to be driven into a deep, relentless sleep, as he calls it, including Dr. Octopus. Um, but then he's also able to shut down the thing that's keeping Dr. Octopus's legs from working. And then he's able to use Dr. Octopus to escape and get out because of his the strength from the tentacles to be able to pull the, the uh, barred doors away from their prison cells. And <laughs> so they escape. If it wasn't crazy enough for you, they escape with Lex Luthor riding Dr. Octopus horseback. Dr. Octopus is walking away with his his tentacles. Lex Luthor's sitting on his back with his legs dangling. And Dr. Octopus has his arms around Lex Luthor's legs like he's giving a, back, a, a piggyback ride to a four-year-old. So like I said, this is where you have to decide, am I going to go with it? Or is this just ridiculous? Is this just comic book crazy? So yeah, I, I went with it. <laughs> I did too. Although at first, when I saw him pull away the skin i was just like oh come on and then no 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 i can't say oh come on if you're gonna say oh come on to anything in here you're completely missing the point of of why they're doing this and what this is for and what it's now there are some oh come on moments at the end that i almost couldn't forgive um (laughs) that just kind of point out some ridiculous weakness on dr octopus's part but at this point (laughs) i i'm laughing with lex Luthor. i am totally laughing with him um, probably for different reasons, but it is with him, not at him. No, it's at him. <laughs> what made them decide to do the piggyback ride? It just looks so cheeseball. But... It does look really weird. Okay, so maybe it's the only logical way to do it, but I think I would... If I was writing this or drawing this, I'd try and think of a, a more logical way to do it. What different. I thought about is his plan completely relied on being put in a cell with somebody that could help him escape, because... Putting yes. everybody to sleep and showing off the cameras doesn't get you out of the jail. He needed those mechanical arms. Yeah, I think I I can go with that though. If he's just and he believes that he'll be putting there with someone who is of super strength, mm-hmm. you know, which which he he, he did. But maybe he could have been put in there with um, I don't know, like parasite or so. I don't know, but yeah, it. But he in his cell, he or not in his cell, in his in the his his base, his hideaway, when he's he's like ready to be arrested. Go ahead, arrest me, and in one day I'm gonna go where this thing is that I you know have have sent away. So whatevs, man, whatevs. So then we finally get the meeting between Superman and Spider Man. So this chapter one called A Duel of Titans starts out and uh, because both Peter and Clark Kent are uh, news reporters, they are going to go to this world news conference. And we had mentioned earlier, I wonder if they touch back on anything that's happened in their own comics. And the first opening lines here are about Ned Leeds and uh, Betty Brant just coming back from their honeymoon. So I'm guessing that was a timely reference at the time. <laughs> and then, yeah, well, they totally bring in the supporting cast for both Superman I mean, and Spider-Man. Right. And, so we've got... Yeah, we got uh, J. Jonah Jameson, you know, yelling at Peter Parker, kind of riling him up, which will be important later. Uh, actually, no, it's important right away as he turns. It is, yeah, super, super quickly here. 
Yeah, Jameson's telling Parker he doesn't think he's a hard worker, which is sort of, I mean, he starts attacking them at this conference. It's kind of a weird work getaway. Uh, but Peter's so mad. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had it with you, Jameson. One minute, you're Mr. Gladhand, the working boy's friend. The next, you put the knife in. So then he quits right there at the conference. And so he's pretty riled up. But it's important that he's riled up because he has to be a little bit mad when he finally meets Clark. Or I should say Superman. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's already in that mindset. Um, there was part of me that was waiting to find out that there was some sort of thing that had been planted there to affect people to make them more antagonistic and make them more aggressive. It never comes out. Um, and J- Jameson doesn't need anything to make him more aggressive. But oh. oh, but this is the first time we've really seen Peter yell at him with that kind of backbone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he he lays into him. Now both yep. Peter and Clark though are having issues with uh, their their coworkers because you find out then for for Clark um, his boss Mr. Edge which I'm not familiar with this guy but he's he does the TV programming and stuff he is totally trying to find a way to strong arm Clark out of covering this place uh, this event because Clark's just not good enough of a reporter and they're trying to get someone like a Cronkite um, or they, more famous. This this really dates this because I recognize some of the names. He says, uh, we're looking for someone with higher viewer recognition, like Wal- Walter Cronkite, Dan Rather, and Roger Mudd. Now, I don't know who Roger Mudd is, um, but to be put in the list with Cronkite and Rather, he must be someone great. But, um, yeah, they're looking for someone better than him, and, and he he takes it, you know? He takes it like, a, like the Neeb that he is, and Lois is not happy. Now MJ, well, she seemed to be happy with what was going on with, with, uh, with Peter, but Lois is not happy with the way Clark just takes it. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, kind of division between the two because Peter, you know, I, I think in some ways you think what Clark does, he's sort of taking the high road, but we see Peter again, almost at making Spider-Man the less good hero. He yells at his boss instead of just playing it cool and going with the flow. Yeah, and this is one thing that they do well in this, is playing up how are Superman and Spider-Man different. One has experience, one has youthful energy and rage, I guess. I don't know. Um, do you but, know what the status quo is, though, relationship-wise? So, I'm, I, of course, MJ and Peter are together, but they're not married yet. And I don't get the sense she knows that he's Spider-Man. And then no, what's no. going on with Lois and Clark at this point? Well, Lois and Clark was always the same up until the end, where she didn't know... I mean, when I say up until the end, I'm, I'm thinking up until, like, World Without Superman. So or, she doesn't know he's Superman, but no. are they together in a relationship? I don't know if this is one of those times when they were. They were always in a kind of a state of will they, won't they, and when they did, they did, and when they didn't, they didn't, you know, because cause Clark just never was good enough. And I think that, I think Lois is really considered Superman's girlfriend, not Clark's. Okay. At this point. Um but Clark was never good enough, and and whenever Lois would start to feel like, oh, maybe he'd go and be Clark Kent. <laughs> so, so what happens is Superman comes out of nowhere and causes Mary Jane and Lois Lane, who are just happen to be together, um, to disappear. He zaps them with his eyes, and they disappear. And Peter Parker sees this. And so then Peter Parker runs and sees Clark Kent, who also saw this happen, and asks where the phone booths are. And yeah, Clark Kent sends him over to the, 
the phone stalls, you know, like where they're just phones on the wall. There's no booth. So he has to run upstairs. He changes into a Spider-Man costume and you get what's promised on the cover. Now, you don't get what's promised in the chapter title because the chapter title is what? When Titans Collide? Is that what it's called? A duel of Titans. Duel of Titans. Yeah, they don't duel in this chapter. The Titans don't even meet in this chapter other than in Secret Identities. But the next chapter, chapter two, when heroes clash, you get this incredible two-page splash, which is another variation of what's on the cover. It's Spider-Man swinging on his web, Superman flying up to meet him. The city is down below them. And at first, Spider-Man is just totally, he's saying what we're saying, far out. I mean, I look at this page and I think this is a poster. I want this as a poster on my wall. This is incredible. The artwork is so perfect. The artwork in this whole book is just so iconic. It's it's the perfect... Uh, the, the artist, Ross Andrew, I don't think they could have picked a better artist to do this. When I think of Superman, this is who I think of, even though I haven't read many comics that Ross Andrew has written, or drawn, rather. When I think of Spider-Man, this is the way I picture him is the way you see him right here in these two pages. Man. Yeah. No, I totally agree. The artwork is awesome. And, and we should note that uh, two artists are uncredited in this book. We've got Neil Adams also working on the pencils. Uh, he was redrawing some of the major Superman figures. And then John Romita Sr. is uncredited, but he worked on some of the Marvel faces. Okay. Well, maybe it's not all up to Ross then. I mean, maybe these other two were, were kind of coming in and fixing it and making it so it was as iconic as it is. Yeah. But should, as it is, it is iconic. It is. And we should stress for the listeners, if you, know, you haven't read this. So, again, Clark Kent saw Superman do this. So it's obviously not Superman who, who <laughs> stole these two girls. So, but then when Superman and Spider-Man come face to face, now we do have the real Superman there. And there's a lot of confusion. What I really liked is... Superman only knows Spider-Man by word of mouth. And as we know, thanks to the Daily Bugle and the police who don't really like Spider-Man, Spider-Man is considered a menace in New yes. York. And so, uh, you know, Spider-Man saw Superman, who, or who he thought was Superman, take the girls. But Superman assumes that Spider-Man, who's there, has something to do with it because he thinks Spider-Man is a supervillain. And so when it comes to heroes fighting, this is actually a pretty good setup because Superman legitimately thinks that Spider-Man is a villain. And Spider-Man legitimately thinks that Superman just stole his girlfriend. Right. So that we do have a quick cutaway where we see that it was Lex Luger, or not Lex, Lex, Lex Luger, Luther, in disguise. Do you know who Lex Luger is? Yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a professional wrestler. Is he really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Back in the '90s, again, I, I read a lot of comics and watched a lot of professional wrestling. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> so Lex Luthor had been dressed up like Superman, and he's there with Dr. Octopus, and now they're watching these two heroes fight it out. But what does he zap him with? Well, that's the thing, is how are you going to have Spider-Man versus Superman? Because Spider-Man is so outclassed, not just by experience, as we're seeing here, but by strength. And so what happens is he gets zapped by red sun radiation that charges up spider-man's powers and it makes him a match and so i think it actually kind of charges up spider-man's powers but also gives him um more of an advantage because of the red sun being being involved with the radiation there so that and superman is more vulnerable to his attack because of the red sun radiation and so we get 
a pretty decent face uh, uh, fist fight. And again, I don't know what page you you have in your book, but page fifty. So I mean, we're halfway through the book actually uh, b- before they actually start fighting. But page fifty, Spider Man gives Superman this incredible, incredible punch, and it's another incredible, incredible splash. Mm-hmm. Again, almost, almost poster worthy. Superman fills the entire page. Spider Man's there in the background. Uh, almost poster worthy because it's just not the moment that I'd want captured on a poster. But it would, is great. Spider Man taking out Superman. I love it. And you know, you'll probably talk about this as you talk through the fight. But again, the only thing I don't like about it, I like the fight. But Superman starts to realize that Spider Man thinks he's the villain. Yes. And so that Superman realizes maybe Spider Man isn't a bad guy here either. So Superman is trying to just talk things out and not fight. Spider-Man won't listen at all and just keeps on punching. And eventually Superman just stops fighting back because he, Spider-Man won't listen to reason. Well, and this is again where I thought maybe there was something going on that caused him to be more aggressive. And, you know, just caused him to pump up that aggression. There's nothing. There's nothing. Spider-Man is just being a hothead. And... Yeah. And, I, and the only explanation is that he was already, already riled up by J. Jonah Jameson. Otherwise, it just makes him look like an idiot. Kind of. <laughs> totally does. So the fight ends, though, basically because Spider-Man's powers drain. And he's not strong anymore. He tries to take a punch, you know, to, to punch Superman. And then Superman goes and gives a swing. He's like, no, now it's my turn. And he realizes... What? No. What? What am I doing? If my if this punch connects, it'll kill him. So he stops his punch and pulls it. But then it says, "But though the punch is stopped, the wind blast is not." Seconds later, the shockwave strikes with the force of a compact hurricane, and you get another splash page. This one of Spider-Man being just tumbling across the page, away from Superman because and Superman's back there like. Oops, I hope I didn't hurt him too bad when I tried to punch him in the face. Spider-Man flies through an art show. Uh, you know, nice, yeah. clever Smash thing. through buildings. And they end up on top of the building again. And this is my favorite part. And I, I remember this from when I looked through it. I never read this through closely. Spider-Man thinks he still has a strength. And so he punches Superman, hurts his hand, punches Superman again, and hurts his hand. Now he's saying, you're going to tell me where Mary Jane is or I'll tear you apart. And it just has that that motion that they do with Spider-Man and with Flash, too. But I recognize it mostly with Spider-Man where he's, like, moving his arms fast. And so you see, like, six pairs of arms just punching Superman. It's going, wham, 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 wham. And then he stops and his hands are just throbbing. And he puts them under his armpits. And he's, oh, boy, I broke my hands. <laughs> uh, and then they choose to team up and they shake hands. And, again, it hurts his hand just to shake hands because he's he's basically... The next thing, too, breaking his hands. I don't think he actually has because he uses them quite often later on. But I love that scene. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, they make up really fast. Well, you know, Superman is a reasonable guy, you yeah. know, and, and he's going to, you know, he's going to find the right way to deal with every conflict. And so that that's the right way to deal with this conflict with Spider-Man. Do you want to play Superman and I'll play uh, Spider-Man? From yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's do upper right hand panel. I'll be I'll be Spider-Man. Here we go. All right. Pal, pal, we've been duped. Undoubtedly. 
The question is, do we let the dupers, whoever they are, get away with what they've done? Or do we join forces and fight them together? For that, do you need an answer? I suppose not. Let's shake on it, partner. Let's. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch! Yeah, I think there's a nice little uh, page or a nice little panel of them shaking hands. Yeah. All right. Here we are. Chapter three. Now, how many chapters are there total? Four? Uh, Four or five. There's an epilogue and there's an interlude. So, oh yeah, 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 we got a ways to go here. But yeah, uh, this one opens up another double splash. But I, I'm curious, Matt, what do you think about their their mode of travel here? Yeah, you know, Spider Man webbed up some skis for himself, and then he made a web rope, and Superman flies and holds the rope, and uh, in a sense, I guess you could say that Spider Man is w- Wa- sky skiing, water skiing in the sky. <laughs> I guess uh, surfboards weren't quite popular anymore, or, you know, maybe that, I don't know. I don't know. This is definitely more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's more dignified <laughs> than Lex Luthor riding on Doc Ock's back. Yeah. I have seen, though, now that I think of it, I have seen Batman riding on Superman's back. Kind of like okay. that. Now, get this. Again, I mean, I don't want to keep nitpicking this because I love Spider-Man and actually I love this comic but they have to break into this building where they think the bad guys are <laughs> Spider-Man goes through all these booby traps and he almost gets electrocuted and he almost gets burned and he almost gets uh, shot and then he finally makes it through after two pages of panels wait you forgot the most important one the one that just is horrifying the other stuff is comic book cartoony but then he's swinging through a dark room. His spider sense warns him that there's a wire screen. He was oh. about to swing through these wires and get himself just sliced yes. into pieces. This this is horrifying. The other stuff, well, yeah, you know, you've seen this. You've seen it on the 1969 Spider-Man cartoon, that kind of thing. These wires, he was going to get himself sliced into four sections. Yeah, so. He avoids that, and then we get a shot of Superman on the outside of the building. I don't know why he didn't go with him, but he's thinking to himself, I've waited long enough, Spider-Man. Or, I've waited long enough. Spider-Man has done his part. Now it's my turn. What's Spider-Man's part? I know. I have no idea. There's no explanation. Then he just flies (laughs) to the front door, and we see Superman and Spider-Man entering the room with Lex Luthor and Doc Ock at the same time. So it's like, man... Spider-Man went through all that. Superman just punches through the front door, and they're at the same place. Yeah, if you think about it, if you think about it, it should have been roles reversed, right? Uh-huh. Spider-Man should have been waiting at the front door. Oh, oh, it's about time Superman's gotten through everything. I'm going to smash through now so we can both make our dramatic entry. Because Spider-Man can smash through walls and doors. I mean, this is not... It's just... It's Acme... Uh, Acme Music Importers? Uh, it's on page 63 yeah. there, but it's it's just a warehouse. No, no, I, I think it's just Acme Importers. I think that middle is more just like a squiggle design. I don't think it's a word, is right. it? Well, it looks like a word on this big page, but... Yeah, so it was, again, just kind of Peter rushing in and Superman being the smarter of the two. I feel bad. No, 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 want... that was planned. That was planned. That was not Spider-Man rushing in. That was Superman saying, hey, you go that way, I'll go this way. Good luck. <laughs> I guess, but why? Why not just stick together? I don't know. So they could make a dramatic entry from two different directions? Maybe? I don't know. All right, so then... I've seen better plans. Let's put it that way. Uh, then we, 
we have Lex Luthor telling his plan a little bit. And as the heroes rush in to get the bad guys, not so fast. They're actually just holograms being projected there. But we did see a video of MJ and Lois chained up. And we find out they're the bait. Uh, the computer is there. And, and Spider-Man's going to try to use the computer to track down where they're at. But, Ben... How does Superman save Spider-Man? Well, the computer's going to explode, but before it does, Superman uses his super breath to blow Spider-Man out of the way. Yeah, booby-trap computer. <laughs> and I love this next part. So <laughs> Spider-Man's like, what are we going to do now? The computer was the only way to find them. And so Superman, using flash-like speed uh, and, and, his, and his photographic memory, <laughs> yes. reassembles the computer from the smallest circuit up. So apparently, before it blew up, Superman uses x-ray vision to scan the computer just to make sure just in case something would happen to it and he had to put it back together he scanned it with his x-ray vision and then used his photographic memory to build it from... he did it in the time it takes you to blink an eye done i think you should take the story at this point because i'm not positive why they made this trip to mount kilimanjaro okay well they get coordinates from the computer uh and and that's where spider-man's <laughs> Spider-Man's contribution to type on the computer and find out this lon- longitude and latitude, and that's a Mount Kilimanjaro, and they find a tribe of people, and one of the guys speaks English, and he says, yeah, one of our warriors disappeared, um, but before we help you, can you, uh, Superman, can you show off your power? And so Superman juggles a tribe of, or a group of the tribe's warriors, uh, juggles them like three stories into the air uh, just for the chief's uh, benefit who then allows them to um, drink with them. It was their finest food, a mixture of milk and cattle blood, which they passed on. So that being done, the the guy who speaks English, who's, he studied in, in Europe or something like that. He brings them to a mountain where the, um, and again, this is where I thought maybe this was happening to Spider-Man. But the, the warrior that disappeared, he is under mind control and has been zapped with the red radiation, uh, I, I believe. And he, he fights Spider-Man and Superman, and they can't defeat him alone. The radiation won't allow the, the webs to do anything. Uh, they keep snapping and stuff, right? I think that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah but, they have to use Spider-Man, or Superman's heat vision on the webs to... To harden uh, them. Harden it, yeah. Yeah, and then they go in and they find a great big base. Uh, basically, Lex Luthor has created a James Bond base, and that's actually rec- uh, referenced by Spider-Man. It's a, it's a rocket silo. Mm-hmm. And it was used to launch a rocket into space. And I, I believe that that rocket is what... Lex Luthor and Dr. Octopus are using to go up to the, the satellite. And so that's how they figure out that they're going up into space. So if they had gotten there a little bit earlier, they would have caught Dr. Octopus and Lex Luthor. I think that's the whole reason they went to, to Mount Kilimanjaro. All right. And we do see that uh, Luthor is using a rocket that says on the side, Injustice Gang of the World. So there's a reference again to, a, I'm guessing at this point in time, a recent storyline where a bunch of villains teamed up together. It is. So. I mean, that's the anti-Justice League. Right. But, and this is where it still could be in another universe that doesn't have any other heroes or that has very few other heroes. Um, we're in chapter four now. It's the Doomsday Decision is, is the name of the chapter. But the explanation 
Dr. Octopus says, who or what is the Injustice gang? And Lex Luthor says, uh, for, so, for, for a time, several months ago, a number of so-called villains banded together to fight, quote, justice, thus the name Injustice Gang. No names are given. No um, details are given who they were fighting against. It literally could be a group of Superman's villains in this universe, a group of Superman's villains just going up against Superman. Oh, yeah, because when I read this, of course, my mind jumped to Justice League. Exactly. I wonder if they purposely chose not to use that phrase. I, I think that they are referencing it, and I think they're referencing it with a wink and a nod, as if, again, what that's not important. What's important here in this particular story is that the satellite is there. How do, Why is there a satellite there that's going to be used? Because they don't talk about the Justice League satellite at all. I didn't know the Injustice Gang had a satellite. Right. Or if I did, I, I hadn't, you know, I didn't remember it. So... Yeah, so Lex Luthor, though, has taken the satellite as his own. That's where Mary Jane and Lo- Lois Lane are. They're already up there. Um, and he's got this little key, and what's his ultimate plan? His ultimate plan is to take over the, uh, what's it called? The um, There's a satellite that's going up. It's a laser satellite. And that's actually what the uh, the news conference was covering as, like, their, their I don't know, their headline item, like, I'm not sure exactly what the details are on that. But the satellite is going up, and he has stolen a thing that allows him to take control of the satellite. That's what this little key-looking fob thing is. And can't the satellite be used to destroy the Earth, basically? Well, it's it's got so a laser in it. I, I don't it's weather-related. Yeah, well, that's what he, he ends up using it for that. He turns the laser on the Earth. And that's his plan. We aren't there yet, but he, he's going to turn this laser on the Earth. He tells Doc Ock that he's holding the world uh, ransom. And he wants $10 billion. $10 billion. This is 1976. He's asking for $10 billion. He needs business. Totally. I mean, Dude. that's more than the Dark Knight trilogy brought in. <laughs> hey, can I take the interlude? Because I think it's kind of funny. Take the interlude. It's a nice little little uh, sidestep away from our problems. Yeah. So, again, like Ben had mentioned, we get the cast from both of these heroes' books in here. And there's a little interlude at a bar where J. Jonah Jameson meets Mr. Edge. They recognize each other, so they know each other. They talk a little bit about business and how they both have reporters that are never there when he need them. <laughs> so, on one hand, Clark Kent, he's great at his job, but always rushing away and and not there when the big story's happening and jameson's same you know has a similar problem with peter parker always unreliable um and then then they get a, they kind of walk out of the bar together and and we see that the uh satellite that luther is going to take control of has been launched yeah they, it's called com lab so i mean it has to do with i think research it's meant to be used for research but then lex luther is going to turn it into a, a weapon and he takes control of it, and they've won. But like I said, he he has told Dr. Octopus, and he's also going to tell Superman and Spider-Man that he is just using it to hold the world ransom. The laser gets fired and starts swirling up the, the weather on the Earth. And Superman and Spider-Man come. Spider-Man's actually flying another Injustice Gang ship. Apparently there was another ship down there in the silo. But Superman and Spider-Man, they go up, and they realize what's going on. They have to stop it, but they can't because uh, 
the the sonic stuff uh there's the sonic pulse has been used ultrasonic frequencies which i don't know how that works in space against superman i guess sound waves yeah i'm not sure how sound waves could travel in space if they can or not i i'd have to look up some science stuff that i don't feel like looking up but that's able to that's strong enough to knock out superman which i don't know if that is possible then i don't know why lex luthor doesn't just create a cell he's caught superman put him in a room that has those sonics in it mm-hmm. constantly you know and never turn it off and you've just won you can't kill your enemy but you can hold him captive now those and same things else? cut off uh the the ship gets hit by the laser and and spider-man gets knocked out as well because the the atmosphere goes out in his ship but instead of killing them, they bring them into the satellite. Yeah, and I love this next scene because it's a great mishmash with these two characters. Because yeah. you have, uh, once the heroes kind of come to and are able to fight back, you have Spider-Man taking on Lex Luthor and Superman fighting up against Dr. Octopus. So, yeah, it's just fun to see these two uh, kind of crisscrossing with the villains. And, of course, they have to do a little bit of team up. But I, mean, I couldn't believe it, even though I've been talking about how Superman has come off as cool, calm, and collected, and you know, kind of the better hero in some ways. When he's fighting against Doc Ock, he rips the arms out of Doc Ock's body, and these are <laughs> about, like these are part of him. He has telepathic control over the arms. They're uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're they are a part of his body now. What's the- symbiotic? Is that yeah, the word? Yeah, exactly. So I don't know uh, if that's the word or not, but. This is, this is pretty vicious. Well, okay, but it gets worse because he actually also broke Doc Ock's glasses. You think that's worse than ripping his arms out? Well, it's not the arms that cause him to just panic and realize he can't do anything. It's losing his glasses. It's losing his glasses that cause him to just kind of go crazy. Uh, now, the fight itself, Superman's still groggy, so they've depowered Superman now. So they had, you know, instead of powering up everyone like they've done earlier with Spider-Man and the Warrior. They've depowered him slightly, so he's still groggy. He still isn't able to get his balance. They're fighting in zero gravity, too. That's the other thing. It's weird that that impacts Superman. Well, I I think it only impacts him because he's he's groggy still. He hasn't quite... Yeah, I'm I'm looking back now, um, and he's got those little, you know, uh, groggy splotches of of art around him but and spider-man can't do anything with his webs without you know getting the equal opposite reaction but well, um, gravity the gravity is all over the place so he shoots them and they just kind of fly up yeah yeah but doc ock's glasses get broken lex luther grabs them saves the glasses gets them to doc ock doc ock puts them on and they're broken the lenses are shattered he can't do anything I mean, this is after this, I think, is when he starts wearing goggles, maybe. Because yeah. this is really funny to me. And this is where I kind of like, this is kind of where I did go, oh, come on. <laughs> really? Like, that's how they defeat him? Is you know, It's not the ripping out of the arms. It's the glasses. But, he yeah. Finally, yeah, hopefully he learned his lesson. And that's where the goggles came from. Yeah. So Superman, though, he leaves because there's a tsunami headed toward the east coast of the United States. And did you notice that they decided of all the places to make a little asterisk note for the readers, they define tsunami. Yes. <laughs> Super tidal wave. Stan and Carmine. Yeah. So Superman goes to take care of that. Spider-Man is left with Dr. Octopus and Lex Luthor. And this is where I love this 
ending. I love, I mean, Superman saving the tsunami, it's what you expect out of Superman. Mm-hmm. Mach 1, Mach 2, he creates a sonic wall that the, the wave splashes against it and splashes backward again. And so the tsunami is calmed and it's done. And that's meant to be the big climax. But I love how Spider-Man stops Lex Luthor. Because Lex Luthor reveals he is not really doing this for the ransom. He is going to destroy the world. He has no problem with destroying the world. He is going to allow the chain reaction to begin. Now, the tsunami itself is a side effect of what's actually happening. And what's actually happening is that there will be an atmospheric chain reaction that's going to kill the entire population of the whole Earth. Every single human being on the Earth is going to die. So I love the way Spider-Man stops Dr. Octopus. Matt, he's your guy. Yes. What do you think about this? Explain it to our listener because well, yeah. Let I, mean, me explain I love it this. I love this so much. Yeah, I'll explain it and then I'll give my impression. So uh, basically, Spidey talks sense into Doc Ock and he says, you hear that? You hear that guy, Aki? He's going to destroy the Earth. Where are you going to spend that loot then, friend? <laughs> so at first, you know, Doc Ock is doing this for money, but he realizes, well, without Earth, money is useless. So Spider-Man, who is captured at this point, talks sense into Doc Ock, and Dr. Octopus says, I can't let you do it, Luther. The Earth is my home, too. <laughs> he smashes the equipment, shutting down the laser. Luthor yells, no. But, okay, that's what happens. Here's my impression. Again, I mean, of course, Spider-Man did use his wit to stop him, but he's not actually a hero in some ways. Dr. Octopus becomes <laughs> a sort of hero that's here. true. But... Uh, I mean, no, no, but that's Spider-Man using his weapon at, at his, you know, what, what weapon is at his in his grasp? You know, yeah, he uses mind. I know he's smart, but he I mean, at this point, he's all wrapped up. The One of the Doc Ock's arms has him firmly in his grasp. He's not getting away. So the only thing he can do is really try to talk some sense into him. So he does. So Spider-Man is a hero hero, but also he couldn't have done it without his villain, Doc Ock. So then Luther punches Doc Ock. uh, And then we get this awesome, right as you were saying before, as Superman was doing his Mach 1, Mach 2, Mach 3, doing the sound, the wall of, you know, the sound barrier type thing uh, over the wall of water. We get a nice shot of Spidey knocking Luther out. Right in the jaw. Right, right in the, the jaw. It is awesome. I I I don't know, man. I I like Spider Man winning like this. I mean, to me, you say he didn't actually win. Doctor Octopus does. No, I mean, I, but no, no. to me, that is one of those endings where he wins not by punching out Doctor Octopus. He punches out Lex Luthor after he's already won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, after the the plan is done. You know, Lex Luthor. You know, he needs to get punched so he doesn't get away. You know, you got to knock him out comic book style, you know, and, and give him, you know, what it would in real life actually probably give him a concussion or whatever. But, you know, he, he's, he does get that moment. And it's a great moment that as Superman's doing his thing, it's Spider-Man who gets to punch Lex. No, but I, I just want to be clear. I do see Spidey as a hero, but I just think it's funny that his <laughs> he had to talk his villain into bailing him out in some ways. So, but no, I mean, I like no. the next page, too, where you've got just to give Spidey some credit here. Uh, when you know Superman and Spider-Man are sort of wrapping things up and they've saved the girls, if you notice, Luthor and Doc Ock are both webbed up. Yes. So as Superman 
and Spider-Man are parting ways. Spider-Man taking Doc Ock to jail and Superman taking Lex Luthor to jail. Guess what? They're both in Spidey's webbing because he saved the day. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to take the the epilogue? Yeah, well, you know, we got the dialogue. We got some nice dialogue here, though. Superman and Spider-Man part ways as heroes with their respective villain wrapped in webs. And this is where Superman says, I hope we meet again, Spider-Man. Wait, wait. Let's take all. Let's take this whole page. Okay. Uh, and I'll be Spidey, and uh, you be Superman. All right. So uh, I'll start with Imagine. Ready? Go for it. Imagine Luthor's ego coming to, coming to New York just to grab Lois Lane as bait for you, a trap to net you. Guess it was just luck he grabbed my girl too, huh? Luck or destiny? Yeah. Well, who knows? I hope we meet again, Spider-Man. You hope? Don't forget me. After all, <laughs> oh, no, he's saying you hope. Don't forget me. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> okay, let me go on to the next panel. After all, it isn't every day two living legends go around making history. Am I right or am I right? Spidey old friend, I don't think everyone, I don't think anyone's ever been writer. And then the end, question mark. And I thought it was referring to a possible sequel. No, we get one more ending. The epilogue. Do you love this epilogue as much as I do? I don't know if you could. Uh, I don't think I love it as much as you do. I really like it because we had our heroes meet and leave. And then we have a classic superhero trope here where in their secret identities, they meet again. And so all this stuff has gone down. Superman set up an automatic video camera to record his arrival uh, as Superman with the villains. Meanwhile, Peter Parker also took some pictures with his automatic camera so that he could get some pictures of Spider-Man and Superman coming to the Coliseum. And then they both go and they find their editors or their bosses sitting with their girlfriends, Mary Jane and Lois Lane, which eh, it kind of makes sense, but a little coincidental. But anyway, as they come together, um, Superman gives Mr. Edge his footage and says, hey. You know, can I have the story, an exclusive story? And so he is in good with Mr. Edge now. And Spider-Man comes and gives some film to Jameson and says, hey, if, you got, if you're talking about Superman and Spider-Man, I've got myself some pictures of that. And he hands off his film. And then Jameson says, hey, uh, I really appreciate it. You can see, you can almost, they didn't draw it in there, but you could almost imagine the dollar signs in his eyes as he's looking at the film. And he gives money to to Parker to take Mary Jane out for dinner. And then Mr. Edge does the same thing. He says, take Lois Lane out to dinner on me. And so all four, Lois Lane, Mary Jane, Clark Kent, Lo- and Peter Parker, arm in a- arm, walk away to go to dinner together. A double date between two superhero secret identity giants. And that is the end of the story. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's a good ending. I do, it is good. I think it's the ending. It's the ending we had to have in some ways. So, five stars. This was an awesome read. You give it five? Yeah, for sure. I give it four. Uh, if we're allowing half stars, I might go with four and a half. But it's not perfect. But it's as close to perfect as you can get, I think. Here's something I liked about it. Even though I, I made my little nitpicks, I still like Spider-Man, of course. So I like him in this story. Um, but the bigger surprise to me is I haven't historically been a huge Superman fan, but this made me really want to read 
pre-crisis Superman comics. I hmm. really liked his portrayal. Uh, I'd like to see more of what was happening in this time in his comics. Well, and for me, this book is iconic. And, and it's, this is the iconic Spider-Man, the iconic Superman. If all you know is the movie, actually, even the more modern movies, you could get away and read this and still be able to know what's going on and enjoy it. I, I really, really like it. And, you know, I poke some fun at some of it, you know, being, you know, comic book logic and that kind of thing. But when it comes down to it, a story like this, you need to almost just let it go. And you just need to say, you know what? This is fun. This is fun. The writer, Jerry Conway, he's having fun. At least to me, it seems like he's having fun. I don't know if he actually is or if he was like, oh, man, you know, maybe maybe he's stressing out. Because he's writing this, you know, and, and he's like, ah, oh, I can't believe I have to do this. This is who who can do this? You know, this is crazy. Or maybe he's looking at it as just another job. But the way I see it in my mind's eye as I read this, he's having fun, cutting loose, just telling a big, giant superhero story that, yeah, there's some cliched tropes that may not even be tropes yet. Um, although I imagine that, you know, the hero meeting a hero and fighting that's been around for decades at this point in time you know but at the same time yeah jerry conway i just imagine him just big huge grin on his face and let me tell you the other thing matt that usually happens when i read a crossover like this usually this feels like fan service or fan fiction like the worst parts of fan fiction there's some good fan fiction that actually is telling meaningful stories and that kind of thing but the worst parts of fan fiction is when they're just taking things and saying, all right, and then I like this from the Superman movie, so I'm going to put it in there. And I like this from that, and I'm going to put it in there. And that kind of that, that kind of thing, that's that's the dark side of fan Well, no, that's not the dark side of fan fiction. That's the goofy side of fan fiction. The dark side, I don't want to talk about. But this here, it walks that line perfectly of here's some nice, iconic moments Here's taking the best of these characters and putting them on the you know the page. Spider-Man's wit, Spider-Man's jokes, Spider-Man's inexperience because he's you know just out of high school. Superman's experience, Superman's strength, Superman's honor. Uh, it, it's all there, and it's just ideal, ideal. And I don't know why I gave it a four. Why didn't you punch me through the microphone, Matt, when I gave it a four? This should be a five. Yeah. I'm giving this a five right now. I'm changing it. After after my closing argument, I'm changing it to a five. I, I convinced myself. I'm, I mean, I'm that good. <laughs> I almost convinced myself down because after you said four, I was like, well, maybe I should do 4.5. Because if five is perfect and I had a few complaints about how Spider-Man's portrayed, maybe 4.5 is more fair. But it's so much fun to read. I don't know, I'd say a must read for comic book fans just in, also i mean in the sense that it's the first ever dc marvel team up in history yes how can you not check it out if possible it's not going to be easy to get your hands on though i don't think it's not going to be right now but toward the end of the year november or december i'm not sure the date actually i should look it up on amazon right now they are doing an omnibus uh, om- omnibus style of uh, a reprint where it will be in there along with a bunch of the other earlier ones that they had um, now, I'll say this. I have two questions for you, Matt. Did you feel that reading it at traditional comic book size that you were getting uh, something less than what you should be getting? Because this was printed in that oversized tabloid style, which 
gives me I'm looking at this and thinking these are great these are huge panels but it also feels like the lettering is big and they're still staying to five six or seven panels a page at the most did you feel like you're actually getting a good a good read yeah I enjoyed it I don't think I felt like I was missing something until you and I started talking tonight and then you pointed out some things that I probably missed because I didn't have it in the bigger size but no just reading it in the regular size initially I felt fine about that Okay. Okay. And I can't on Amazon. I can't find it yet, but there is a reprint coming. I, I believe it's going to be like a hardcover omnibus. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure all the details, but it'll be easier to find soon. Uh, but Matt, I have one last question for you. If this was just a Spider-Man story, uh, that you're, if you're looking at this as just a Spider-Man story, does it succeed for you as a Spider-Man story? Mm, that's a really good question. Oh, man. I don't know if you're going to ask me this, but it definitely worked as a Superman story. Well, that was my next question. So, okay, yeah. so, so I'll say definitely for Superman. I, I mean, we said this at the very opening of the show. In some ways, it felt almost like a Superman comic that Spider-Man was making an appearance in. Uh, so, oh, man, I, you know I love Spider-Man. I don't want to say it's not. Uh, this is a tough call, Ben. I'm going to have to just go with my gut. My first reaction is to say that this is a Superman story and it's not a legit team up in the... Uh, I mean, it's not a equal presentation. Because, I mean, in some ways, Spider-Man felt like his bumbling sidekick a few times. <laughs> You're right. You're right. And, and that's I, why I'm I curious want, about the next one, is how that turned out. But I don't want to... I, I, I really wish that wasn't the case. I love Spider-Man, but I, I guess if I'm... My initial reaction, and maybe it will change after a couple more readings, I've... I read this once around 91 or 92 and a second time yesterday as we record here. So uh, maybe it will change over time. But for now, I'll just say it does not work for me as just a, a Spider-Man story. Okay. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. To me, this definitely is uh, a Superman story guest starring Spider-Man. And it, it's it, as much as they might have tried to make it evil, evil, even <laughs> – uh, although, you know, we say even even those page numbers, I mean, I think that you might be able to go through and do a page count and a panel count. But to me, no, this is definitely Superman guest starring Spider-Man. And mm-hmm. yeah, but a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And I definitely recommend, like you, Matt, finding it and reading it. Definitely, if you are a comic book fan, this should be what we call, you know, comic book homework. This is one of those books that you should read just because it exists and you like comic books. If yeah, that makes great. any sense. So I'm going to check right now real fast before we shut things down. I'm just going to look on Comixology and see if you can download this as a digital comic because that would probably be a little bit more doable for I'm, a lot, a lot of our listeners. I'm guess that you can't, though. Yes, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> so never mind, everybody. So if you have a good library, maybe that will help you but. Um, so until next time, thank you for listening. And in our show notes, it'll be at comicbooktimemachine.com slash Superman Spider-Man uh, with no punctuation, just slash Superman Spider-Man. That's where this episode will be found. And when you go there, you can find links to all the other podcasts that are taking part in the comic book crossover, the uh, the Jerry's Corner crossover. Uh, no, the Conway's Corner crossover. It sounds like Jerry's kids when I'm talking about it like that, but... Uh, well, uh, you can find us at comicbooktimemachine.com, Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash comicbooktimemachine. On Twitter, we're just comic time. And Matt, 
real quick, where can people find you in, in other uh, internet spaces? And then we will turn this podcast down. Yeah. Uh, outside of comicbooktimemachine.com, I'm also at the sci-fi-christian.com. All right. And you can find me at welcomelevel7.com, where I talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're starting our Daredevil coverage very soon. And you can also find me at uh, strangersandaliens.com. It's a podcast very similar to the Sci-Fi Christian. And you can also find me at benavery.com, which is my personal website. So thank you again for listening. Matt, you have any final words? I do. Be safe, kids. Make good choices. Oh, it's like Daniel's here. <laughs>